problems. But in doing so, the real problem, and Paul spends the first four chapters basically addressing this and referring to it throughout the rest of the book, their real problem was that they were divided. They, whereas the church of Jesus Christ is designed to be unified, Jesus prayed in John 17 that his disciples would be one so that the world would know that Jesus is legitimate. Unfortunately, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't do a very good job of that much of the time. The church in Corinth was becoming known for the way that they fought back and forth with each other. Later in a few weeks, we'll see where they were suing each other and what Paul had to say about that. But there was all of this competition and all of this division, something that well, Paul, remember when we studied Philippians, Paul was begging them, you guys, be of the same mind. Don't be that way. Don't be divided. And yet I would love to say after almost 2,000 years of church history that we've got this taken care of, there are enough things in the Bible that address it that we should have got past this hurdle. And yet, sad to say, even today, when people look at the church, they don't see a unified front. They don't see a lot of people who are together all on the same team. What they see is all these different churches that are divided up for all sorts of personal reasons, some of them theological, some of them philosophical, many of them just personal preference. And it's so confusing because we talk about, oh, we're all the body of Christ and we're all unified. And yet the truth is we are so often known more by who we are against we have fights between churches, fights within churches, church splits that happen all the time. And if people are supposed to know who Jesus is based on our unity, we have a problem. But Paul, as we saw last week in verse 10, says, I'm pleading with you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That is, you learn to speak the same language and communicate. And that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same spirit. The heart of Jesus was also the heart of Paul, that the church of Jesus Christ would be unified. You know, people joke about this a lot of times. It's so silly the way we are about churches and how we are we have our personal preferences and we make our divisions. We divide people up over different issues and different problems. You've probably heard the story about the guy who was marooned by himself on a desert island for many years. When he finally was rescued, his rescuer said, show me around a little bit. You know, you've lived here a long time. Let me know what it's like. And he said, what are those three buildings over there? He had built three little huts. And the man said, well, that first building is my house. I live in that hut. And he said, oh, that's great. And he looked around in it. And he said, what's the second building? And he said, this is my church. Come on in. And he came in, and it was fixed up, a cross up in the front and everything. And he goes, that's great. He goes, what's the third building? He said, oh, that's my old church. <laughs> that's where I used to go. <laughs> and so often that's the way we approach church is as soon as there's a reason I need to move on, and we look on church as almost a salad bar or a buffet, get what you want, find your own personal preferences. It gives people such a wrong impression. And so here, beginning with verse 11, we read 
Paul said, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brothers, by those of Chloe's household, it was probably a group of Christians that met as a home fellowship at Chloe's house, that there are contentions among you. That is, you guys are fighting. I've heard this. And he says, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. There were these different factions. Now, Paul had started the church there in Corinth. Corinth, as you might remember, was a really wealthy and prominent area of the, of the Grecian world, and therefore also of the Roman Empire. It was there close to Athens and was the capital of, that, of Greece. And there in Corinth, they took great pride in their philosophy, in their art, music, in every way. They were the elite culture. Paul had come to that area and introduced something very simple to them. He introduced the gospel. And so as he started the church, obviously there were people who really loved Paul. And they remembered Paul pastored that church for a year and a half. And so they remembered the days of Paul as being the good old days. And so all the old timers were going, you know, now that Paul's gone, that was old school. That was really the way to do church, man. Those were the days. They relished in their liberty. Paul had come and declared to them their freedom in Christ, and they were so happy when that happened. After Paul had left, a little bit later, you can read about it in Acts chapter 18, a guy named Apollos popped up. Apollos was a, a Jewish guy, but he was from the Grecian capital and had, was educated and was very talented as an orator, powerful man in the word of God. He didn't really know the whole gospel, and so Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and shared the gospel with him when he was there in Ephesus. And then he came over to Corinth. So sometime after Paul left Corinth, Apollos came up. And Apollos was a lot different than Paul. Paul, as we will see as we study through this book, he emphasized that there wasn't much slick about him. And we'll talk about this in another week, but extra-biblical descriptions of Paul say that he was an ugly guy. It was hard to look at him. Now, part of that was probably because of all the scars from being stoned and beaten and shipwrecked and everything. But he had one eye that kind of looked off in a different direction, and his eyes kind of, you know, were leaking all the time. He had one of those mustache eyebrows that was really huge, a unibrow. is short and squat. He kind of was hunched over, didn't have much of a neck. And basically, there was nothing impressive about Paul until he opened his mouth and shared the gospel. And that was exactly what they needed, just a simple presentation of the gospel, and that's what he gave them. He had a real determined, specific purpose why he chose to communicate in that way, but no doubt a part of it was that when you look like that, you just don't do slick very well. You're not a real seeker-friendly, potential, multimedia kind of a preacher. And so Paul had shared the gospel, but now along comes Apollos. Apollos, just like his name implies, he was like a Greek god, good-looking guy, powerful orator, a voice that boomed when he spoke, in every way clever and impressive, always three points, a poem and a deathbed story, 
always just really powerful illustrations, always just communicated with the most elaborate kinds of language possible, so eloquent. All of his points starting with the same letter. And, all. and it was just, boy, they loved this guy. And so after having Paul, the new people that came along were attracted by Apollos. Hey, there's a guy who's a great speaker. You've got to hear this guy. He is so slick. Some of the people were kind of embarrassed to bring their friends to church when Paul was the pastor. Because like people would look at him and go, that guy? You're kidding me. So now that they had what they wanted, their soul Apollos, polished and powerful, brilliant man. Well, a lot of people said, this is what we've been waiting for. We wanted this kind of a presentation. Now, at some point along the line, apparently Peter or some of his representatives came there. The name Cephas is just another name for Peter. The word Peter, um, Petros, is the Greek word for stone. And Cephas is probably from the Aramaic word for stone. It's a Syriac name for, for stone, and they believe that probably Aramaic is close enough to it, and they spoke Aramaic in Jesus' day. So at any rate, we're talking about Peter here, although you'll see some theologians who argue that Cephas is different than Peter. Whenever Paul talks about Peter, he calls him by his Aramaic name, Cephas except for over in Galatians where some manuscripts show him calling him Peter when he talked about confronting him to his face. But anyway, Peter comes along, and Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Now, there were some Jews there in Corinth, but most of the people there were Gentiles. But when they started hearing from those who were pushing Judaism, now they felt like, okay, maybe what we need to do is become more Jewish and to become Christian. There was an awful lot of the New Testament that was addressed to just this issue. And it's not an easy thing to work through because it's an honest, you know, Jesus was Jewish and he came to fulfill the Jewish scriptures and someday when he returns, he's going to again deal with the nation of Israel. So, so it's certainly, Judaism is an important part of our heritage as Christians, however, we don't have to become Jewish and celebrate the Jewish ceremonies and things like that in order to become a Christian. So Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles, didn't do that. But Peter or his representatives came along and probably gave people that flavor. And now instead of saying Jesus Christ, they were all saying Yeshua HaMashiach and feeling like somehow they were better because you know, there was that superiority that was built in. And so some people said, this is what we need. We need to be more Jewish Christians, Messianic Christians. Now, he also says, not only, you know, that they were saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, but he says there were some who were saying, I am of Christ. Now, we don't know if this was a separate group. Theologians differ over this, and I'm not going to make a big deal about it one way or the other. It could be, and my suspicion is, Paul was saying, I am of Christ, in a, in a way that was sort of um, drawing the point that he makes right next, because after he says, I am of Christ, he says, is Christ divided? So I think probably as they weren't perhaps a group of them saying, well, we are Jesus only, but I think it was probably that they all thought, I am of Christ. I am of Christ because I follow Paul. I am of Christ because I follow Apollos. I am of Christ because I follow Cephas, or I am of Christ. But 
Paul brings up a great question. Is Christ divided? If you are divided up into these various fan clubs of these different leaders, how do I explain that when Jesus Christ came to build his church, not to build his churches? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. There's no wonder people are confused because today we divide over almost everything. And at the same time, we all think we're of Jesus. I am of Apollos, but I'm of Jesus too. Wait a minute. The guy who's in Paul's fan club is claiming that he's of Jesus too. The one who is following after Peter is, and buying into the whole Jewish approach, he thinks he's of Jesus too. This is confusing. Is Christ divided? And the answer that Paul brings up is, of course not. He can't be. Something is wrong here when we are divided. And I think there was nothing wrong with the way Paul ministered. There was nothing wrong with the way Apollos ministered. There was nothing wrong with the way Peter ministered. There's something wrong when people start saying, I am picking sides, I am. See, Jesus made the statement, I am, a lot of times. The Gospel of John records it numerous times where Jesus used I am, and then he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am the personal name of God. Jesus, identifying himself as God, said, I am. Now, what happens when I say, I am? I'm taking the place of him. I am drawing lines of exclusion that he hasn't drawn. And therefore, I am saying, I am right and you are wrong. And that's why we have so many different churches. And just like in those days, everyone has a different preference. And so, well, I'll go to this church for a while, and then I'll check that one out. And, well, I get mad at them, something they do I don't like. I don't like their style of music, or, uh, you know, they don't do hymns, or they do do hymns, or they have an organ, or they don't have an organ, or in our case, we have an organ we don't use. And <laughs> so it's like, okay, I'm looking around, and I'm taking a little bit of everything. And, and our, our level of commitment, we feel, for one thing, Like we need to have our own club and therefore follow our leader. Pick our preference and go with it. And then we feel really bad if we end up going somewhere else because somehow it's like a divorce. We don't see the body of Christ as a whole. It's funny though, sometimes I run into people out and this happened fairly recently. I ran into somebody at um, one of the large stores in the area and and, um, he said, oh, Dave Rolfe, I go, yeah, he goes, yeah, he used to go to your church, and, and I was like, I wasn't going to go, you know, what happened, but I go, oh, great, you know, and he goes, yeah, but we moved, they moved like four miles, so of course, <laughs> now they're going to, another. and I'm like, okay, that's, that's fine, but Paul is saying, it shouldn't be so, you know, this way, and it wouldn't be so critical if it wasn't always us and them. Here's who I am. Here is the distinction of who we are. Let me spell out to you what our church is. And basically, I will define our church based on telling you what's wrong with every other church. We're not like them. We're not like them. We're not like them. We're not like them. And Paul says, Jesus isn't divided. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Now, when you look at the things that people divide over, 
It's really crazy. Usually, it's about things that the Bible isn't really clear on, for instance. So if the Bible doesn't come and give a real definitive position, and so good people disagree, that's a reason for us to divide. Now, Paul talks about baptism here in a minute, and it's an interesting discussion on baptism, but do you realize how many different churches separate over baptism? You know, it, it gets kind of confusing because Jesus and his great commission there in, in the last chapter of Matthew said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. That was what Jesus said to do when you're baptized. Now, on the other hand, Acts chapter 2, Peter talked about baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. So there are, there's a vast separation. There are people who argue over baptismal formula and say it ought to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the other people over here are going, no, I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus is the Son, so to me, I don't think it's a huge problem. Pastor Chuck gets around it because he's been criticized by people, and so what he does is when he baptizes people now, he says, I baptize you in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Touch all the bases. But it gets worse than that because it's not just baptismal formula. Some people believe that you're to be baptized once forward. Other people, no, you need to be baptized backwards. Other people, you need to be baptized three dips backwards. Some people know you need to be baptized by pouring water, not by being dipped. Some people, well, you need to be baptized by being sprinkled with water. Other people decide you should be baptized when you're an infant and then confirmed later. And so what do we have? All these churches about baptism. That's our difference. That's our disagreement. Look at how Paul talks about it as he's saying, you know, that Christ isn't divided. First of all, he says, was Paul crucified for you? In other words, I didn't die for you. It's not about me. I preach the gospel to you, but I never ask you to follow me. It wasn't about me. He says, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Is that what we said? And then he goes, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Now, that's kind of a problem for the people who have divided and formed a denomination based on the belief that baptism saves you. It's called baptismal regeneration. Because Paul's very flippant about baptism. It seems like at first he says, I didn't baptize any of you. Then he remembers a few people that he had baptized and seems to play it off. So why do we make a big deal about it when it wasn't to him? But Paul said, I didn't baptize any of you. Oh, yeah, except Crispus and Gaius. Sounds like a cereal. But he goes, oh, yeah, I forgot. Crispus and Gaius, I baptized them. And then he says, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. It's like I deliberately didn't baptize you because I didn't want it to be the Paul show. And then he says, oh, by the way, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. I forgot. Besides, I don't know whether I baptized any other, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. Wow. This thing that historically has ripped churches apart, has caused one church to look down on another, has caused us to divide and argue. Paul's like, he doesn't say how to do it. And then he says, I didn't baptize anybody. Oh, yeah, I baptized a couple guys, and oh, yeah, their house, and could have been somebody else, but... I don't know, but he said, I wasn't caused, called to be, bap, to be a baptizer. 
That's not my deal. Paul's attitude was unity is way more important than something like baptism. Now, baptism is commanded, and it's a good thing to do, and we always will have baptism this summer down at the beach, and, and we're plan- that'll be in August, by the way, if anybody wants to be baptized. Bapti- baptism is good, but to fight about baptism... That's just completely crazy. That's like some families, when they get together for the holidays, they're going to celebrate Jesus' birth, and they end up fighting with each other, often fighting about gifts. You know, that you didn't give me the right gift, or I'm going to take that back, or that gift is more valuable than this gift, and it's like banging heads over gifts and Jesus. Does that make sense? There are other areas in the scriptures that people argue about. One of them is eschatology. It's the, the questioning and figuring out about all the prophecies about how is this planet going to wind itself down. Now, I have studied eschatology extensively, and, and you know, if you've listened to me very much, that I believe in a premillennial, pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that Jesus is coming back for his saints before the millennial, the thousand-year reign on this earth, and I believe that before the seven-year period of the rapture, Jesus is going to snatch us up into the air. But everyone doesn't agree with me on that, which should cause me to realize, okay, maybe I ought to tread softly on this, because some people believe in premillennial mid-tribulation rapture. It's going to happen right in the middle of the tribulation. Other people, it's going to be premillennial, pre-wrath rapture. Don't know when, but in there somewhere, we'll get, we'll, get, we'll get yanked out of here. Other people, well, it's before the millennium, but it's post-tribulation. Then there are other people who are amillennial who don't believe there is a millennium at all. There are also a few post-millennial people. There are also, and this is a popular view today, the preterist view. It's growing because of different people who are writing books promoting it. And preterism says basically almost all those prophecies were fulfilled by 70 A.D., and you're reading things into it. Now, I can look at all of these people who disagree with me, and I'll tell you this, I, I'll disagree with them, and we can discuss it, but I'm not going to fight over it, and I'm never going to divide fellowship over it. I'm not going to say, look, if you believe in mid-tribulation rapture, I don't want you in our church, or you shouldn't be serving God. You know, if you believe in mid-trib rapture and I'm right, you're just going to be surprised, that's all. (laughs) And for any of these other views, it's just going to be a pleasant surprise. We're all going to go together. I'm not going to say that if you don't believe my way, then you're going to get left behind. No, of course not. That's crazy. And because good people differ, it's one of those areas where should we study it? Should we learn about it? Of course. The Bible teaches on it, and we should study it. But at the same time, we shouldn't divide over something like that. And usually those are the issues that Christians divide over. That's what tears the body of Christ apart. Silly things that weren't even important enough for the Bible to absolutely spell them out and to declare them. Now, are there things that I would divide over? Is it just like, hey, it's a big tent and we're all together? No, when somebody starts questioning whether or not Jesus is God, yeah, now we have a problem. The Bible clearly teaches that. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Deny that and we have a problem. It's pretty clear. 
looking, Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that's pretty clear. Isaiah 9.6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. You don't believe that? We have a problem because the Bible consistently teaches it again and again and again, and it's not ambiguous at all. But those aren't usually the things that people divide over. It tends to be our personal preference, often just simply matters of style. And Paul would say, something's wrong. You're dividing Jesus who died so that we could be together. He died so that we could be unified, as he said back in verse 10, perfectly joined together. He wants to put together the mess that sin has made of this world. And instead of allowing him to put us together, we can't stand each other. And we decide to identify ourselves based on how we are better than someone else, how our perspective is superior to theirs. And people who don't know Jesus just scratch their heads and go, what is up with this? You say you're all Christians, but some of you are following this person, and the people who are following this person don't like the people that are following that person. Some following guys like Paul. Paul, just the down-to-earth, old-school, preach-it-simply kind of a guy, nothing fancy. But then some of you say, I like the slick approach of Apollos. I want something that's a little more polished and professional. And we can't stand those old-school people. We don't like the sort of approach that it's embarrassing to bring our friends. They see and... You know, when they come to church, they expect to see someone in a fancy robe. I come here, pastor's wearing jeans. They're like, what happened? Did the pastor not show up and they got the janitor to teach today? <laughs> huh, I don't call that church. That's not for me. Other people saying, I want a little more religion in it. I could use a little more formal celebration and liturgy. It reminds us more of that Jewish way of doing things. And so there we are. We divide, and the world is confused, and we lose. And the heart of our Lord is broken because we can't learn to accept that the body of Christ is huge. And as a result, we miss out on the joy and the celebration of knowing that all across this county and all through this state and all across this country and all around the world today, there are people who worship God in different ways with different styles, and it's the same God. And it's Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. If other churches want to look down on us, fine. Then we'll look down on them. No, not really. But if they do that, it's something that I pray that God will help them through. But may we never be guilty of looking at people who do things differently and going, well, that church over there, it's like a polis. It's too slick for me. We like the Paul approach. You know, be glad that there are people who will present something polished for people who will only buy into something that's polished. That's okay. No matter what people's individual preferences or styles are, it's important for us to realize there's one Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, for Christ didn't send me to baptize. That's not what I'm up to. That's not what I'm into. That's not what I'm about. But to preach the gospel. He goes, I came to bring good news. 
Now, if you want to turn that into a gimmick, if you want to say, well, you taught it differently than Apollos did, then you're doing it without my blessing. I just came to preach the gospel. And then he kind of explains his method, and he'll go on later as we go through the next few weeks, and we'll see him, him expound on this a bit. But he says, I preach the gospel not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He said, some of you are thinking and criticizing me. And by this time, people were criticizing him and saying, yeah, Paul, remember back in the day, we were so tacky. It was so sloppy. You never knew he'd preach really long, he'd preach really short. Sometimes he would be repeating himself. A lot of times in the middle of the thing, he was like hacking and coughing because he was always sick. Eyes were running. It was just like, you know, get some work done. You know, get a makeover. You're a mess. But now look at us. We're slick and polished. Everything's great. Now we've, man, when Apollos came, we realized the value of an education. Paul had a great education at the feet of Gamaliel. It's just that the Jewish educational system was much different than the Greek educational system. They weren't so concerned with oratory because that wasn't a great Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition was more involved with personal contact and personal ministry. They glorified God, and in a sense, it was a, it was a drive to be close to Him in some way. But Paul said, when I presented it to you, you know, yes, my education was Jewish, and so that certainly influenced me. But, you know, I could have slicked up. I could have gone on pastoral makeover, got some better clothes, had some, you know, trimmed part of that mustache away, you know, that eyebrow thing. And I could have got fixed up. I mean, Dr. Luke was with me. I'm sure he could have worked on me. And I could have worked on my voice, and I could have built a great presentation, and I could have asked God to invent the multimedia projectors so that I could come up with great PowerPoint things and little video clips and all that kind of stuff. I, I could have done that, but he said, you know, for me personally, I didn't want to do it because I think it's a distraction. I think it's just something that, you know, I wanted to keep it simple. Now, he isn't saying, therefore, I'm better than Apollos. He's going, hey, that's fine the way Apollos did it. I just want to explain to you what I was thinking. I could play that game, I don't. But God has used Apollos, and Paul makes that clear later in the book when he talks about Apollos and desiring to send Apollos back to Corinth there. But in Paul's attitude toward Apollos, you can sense that it's like, I don't know where he's from, we're different people, and, but they had this connection because of Jesus. And what Paul was trying to get through to the people is that's what matters. It's the gospel. It's not which way it's presented. It's not how it's communicated. I have my reasons for being me, but I don't want you to join me. I don't want there to be a church of Paul. I don't want you to have the good old days be the tradition that you pile on to the next generation when they're doing things a bit differently and exercising a different style. Again, I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. The, so often, you know, they say, Marshall McLuhan said that the medium is the message, and that's probably not 
a real accurate statement. I understand what he was saying. But in, in other words, his idea, it's a modern, it's a modern uh, communicated idea that really how you communicate is everything. What you communicate doesn't mean much. And in a relativistic society, that resonates with them for sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that statement simply. But at the same time, how we communicate can obscure what we are communicating. If we're not careful in the way in which we choose to present the truth, the truth can actually get lost in the shuffle. And that should be a concern for all of us, no matter what our style, no matter what our approach. And Paul said, I had my style and I did it. I, knew, I planned on what I was doing. I did it in a certain way. But he said, you know what? If the cross gets lost in the shuffle then everything is lost because it's all about Jesus dying for us. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen. Cephas saw him. So it's not about my old school simplicity. It's not about Apollos' new and modern slick approach. It's not about Peter's connection with Judaism. It's just about Jesus. And if you're going to say, I am of Jesus, then you should be able to say, we are of Jesus. There are some people, there are some churches that call themselves Jesus only. And that's their way of saying, we're the ones that are really of Jesus. Well, in reality, they were all thinking that. We're of Paul, just like Jesus was. We're of Apollos, just like Jesus is. And that promise of of possessiveness that somehow this is what Jesus is doing. There was a church years ago, I saw a picture of it. They had a big sign in front of their church and it said, Jesus only. But a big storm came through and some of the letters, the J-E-S, got blown off the sign and so it said, us only. (laughs) Is that really what we're thinking in our hearts? Do we really believe that we are the only ones? Like I've heard somebody say, you know, sometimes I think everybody is messed up except me and you, and sometimes I'm not so sure about you. (laughs) Be careful when your view of Jesus gets smaller and smaller and smaller to where you don't think anybody else can be a part of it. It's just a very little select group of people, only the people who see things your way and do things your way. It's not my job to explain to people why I do things the way I do. It's certainly not my job to convince them that they ought to do things the way I do them. It's my job to look at the cross, to look at Jesus Christ, bring glory to Him, and tell people that's what matters. All the other stuff is just chaff to the wheat. All the other stuff is just details. I'm not going to fight over it. I'm not going to fight somebody over Calvinism or Arminianism, for instance. It doesn't matter to me. I can say I'm neither. I have problems with both positions, but I don't want to fight over it. I don't want you to come and straighten me out on it or anything else. Any of your politics, any of your opinions and, and ideas that you have, I don't, I don't want to hear about it. If they are things that divide, if they are things in which we disagree, and then they become something that obscures the cross of Jesus Christ. If somehow our medium becomes our message or blocks our message. It's important for us to have a clear distinction between that which is indisputable, 
the cross of Jesus Christ, and everything else, which is simply window dressing and details. Now, that might sound kind of radical, and, you know, if you want to fight with me about it after the service, I'll be back in the back. (laughs) But think of the irony of fighting about something that Paul says while he's telling them not to fight. Let's not do it. If you're wrong and I'm right, God will straighten you out. What I tell you is, we who name the name of Jesus Christ are a part of something huge, and it's glorious, it's magnificent. And I want to understand more and more how big our family is rather than to narrow things down so much that the world looks at us and thinks we're nuts, thinks that, how can you all be Christians? You guys don't agree about anything. Whenever, whenever the, the media records something about Christians, it's usually because one Christian's going after another one. Does that make sense? Paul would say no. Why? Because of the cross. And anything that obscures the cross is eliminating our ticket to heaven, our ticket to unity, our ticket to bringing glory to God and seeing his face. As soon as I am of Christ and you're not, we lost. Let's pray.